Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 132, Bienvenidos Bitches, Buiti Binafi, that's Karifna, <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. What? No, they're not. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist allegedly and we are wendy and beth she's wendy a black latinx woman and i'm beth and i just happen to be white it's not her fault (laughs) (laughs) we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode yeah um by the way you can send us text messages too oh yeah that's true <laughs> yeah i so forgot you don't about call, that if you're, you're shy about your voice text us 602-935-6294 also our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media and the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron so who <laughs> are we talking about today beth Today we're talking about Anna Young, a cult leader in Florida. And this subject was suggested to us by Megan uh, Lanes, I think. Megan, I'm sorry, Megan, if we're screwing up your last name, but Megan from The Charlie Project. (laughs) Hi, Megan. We love you. (laughs) 
Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. This yeah, was a we fun met one. her at CrimeCon and she's just amazing and yeah. uh, funny and uh, just really cool. Yeah. And doing the Lord's work out yeah. there. Tell her more about the, her work. Yeah. So she runs the Charlie Project. It's a website database that profiles over 14,000 cold case missing people. It's mainly a publicity vehicle for missing people who are often neglected by the press and forgotten. So, yeah, really awesome. Yeah, super awesome. She deserves hip hop air horns for all the things, the Everything, suggestion yeah. for her work and for being amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. I don't have anything to report, really. Oh, yeah, well, super, super okay. exciting, right? It's, <laughs> my socks are blown off. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're good. That yeah. is wonderful to hear. Uh, it we're recording this on Labor Day weekend. Yep. Um, so it was nice to have this extra day to chill. Um, but uh, me and old Whitey, we uh got into an argument, and I Uh-oh. will say now, <laughs> now Uh-oh. that I'm, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> now that I am, I've talked about this before. Like I'm on a, I'm in on a recovery journey, and um, now that I'm not like <laughs> drinking, now that I don't drink, we fight better. Oh, so. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So we were we were um, having a, a, an argument and the kids uh, put a note. They were like we, we sent them to their rooms and stuff. And then we, they put a note on the dog's collar and then sent the dog into our room. And the note said, are you guys getting a divorce? If so, please don't. <laughs> Aww, I thought it was so cute, and then we were we were dying, and the fight was over. I can't remember what we were fighting about. Anyway, uh, so it's so uh, cute. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so that is what's going on over here. Uh, now we're gonna hop on over to some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. <sighs> Thank you. That sound is so relaxing. What's yeah. in that bag, Beth? Well, we got an email from Laura. And Laura said, Hi, I recently discovered your podcast and I'm enjoying it very much. It's nice to get information on cases that get so little attention by the media. I am deep into genealogy, and as a true crime fan, I was interested to find several murderers in my extended family tree. What? That's nuts. Wow. Oh, my goodness gracious i need to know more (laughs) yeah while most of them involve white killers and white victims there was also a connection to a black serial killer for one victim he was the bouncing ball killer who strangled six elderly white women in 1960 raymond clemens was convicted of strangling a young white college student and the police were convinced he was the bouncing ball killer I have wondered if the fact that the killer was black and the first six victims were elderly meant the police didn't investigate this as thoroughly as they could have. Well, those are excellent reasons uh, that historically have been true. Yes. (laughs) So I think you're on to something, Laura. Wow. Yeah, that's... Bouncing ball killer. I've... Uh, never, OG a true crime. Help me out here. Never heard of this guy. So okay. uh, definitely he's going on the list and we're going to research him for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and his name is the bouncing ball killer. How could we not? I'm wondering how was <laughs> yes, a ball why? involved? What's going why? on? So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, yes, I'm we'll excited about out. this one. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much, Laura. Yeah. We have air horns to you. Right. Um, let's see. 
What else we got going on? Oh, <laughs> new patrons and Patreons. Right on. Uh, so this was, uh, this is the last of the bunch that we got while we were on break. So uh, Carol P, thank you. Uh, Sarah M., uh, Emily S and J A B G. So thank you all um, for supporting our show. And here are your tunes. Hope you don't hate my guts. Okay. <laughs> Remember those folks I killed? Baby, they were never found. They didn't even put up a fight. They didn't even make a sound. I can see you, Carol, Carol, Carol. I can see you, Carol, Carol, Carol. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, Sarah. Once there was this kid who got into an accident and couldn't come to school. But when she finally came back, her hair had turned from black into bright white. She couldn't quite explain it. The crime smashed her old heart. Sarah, mm, Sarah, mm. Do you know what song I'm talking I about? I do, yeah. It's Crash Test Dummies, isn't it? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Emily. Uh, let's see. This, this is because we are talking about black religion today. Oh, okay. Uh, this is an old Negro spiritual. <laughs> Except I'm fucking it up. <laughs> All right. Swing low, sweet Emily. Come and support the Patreon. <laughs> Swing low, sweet Emily. <laughs> Thank you for becoming a patron. <laughs> That was a good one. <laughs> okay. And this last one is for J-A-B-G. Please forgive me. This was a tough one to come up with a tune for. With a J-A-B-G, yeah. Woo! Okay, so I like true crime and I cannot lie. <laughs> you other bitches can't deny that when a pod walks in with some heinous in the place and some murder in your face, you get sprung. <laughs> so, fruities, yeah, fruities, yeah. Does J-A-B got the G? Hell yeah. Then turn around, stick it out. Even killers got a shout. J-B-G got back. <laughs> <laughs> and those are for you, everybody. Thank you for supporting <laughs> our yeah, show. Thank you. Woo! All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get to the story when we come back. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. 
Come play with us. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> Who is our subject today? Yay. <laughs> today we're talking about Anna Young, who led the House of Prayer for All People about 10 miles south of Gainesville back in the 1980s. There, she tortured and beat people while preaching oh. about Jesus. Wait a minute. He was a peaceful individual. I <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't wow. make any sense. He didn't say that. No. Okay. And she ended up killing at least two children. Probably more. Okay. Yeah. So if if the if that part of the story is not your bag, that's okay. We'll be here when you get back yeah. if you're not into it. Um, but we will be telling the story as best we can. And here we go. Let's start with some uh, stats. <laughs> Okay, the House of Prayer, which lasted from 1983 to 1992, was, as Beth said, a little uh, church church in uh, Gainesville, Florida. I was thinking, you know what? Uh, You know how they always say, watch out for Florida, man. But they never say, watch out for Florida woman, Anna Young. (laughs) Uh, Over the course of about 10 years, the organization had about two dozen members. Um, We don't know all of their names. Uh, There were children who were murdered. Um, people who were beaten physically, traumatized emotionally. Um, so we're going to name all of the victims and survivors that we could find. Um, and the word victim here, I think, applies to anybody who was uh, involved in this um, religious cult. Uh, Katanya Jackson was uh, a two-year-old little girl who was murdered. Uh, John Neal was eight years old. That's Katanya's older brother and a survivor of the cult. Marcos Cruz came to the group with his mother when he was a baby. Uh, His mother is Sabrina Hamburg, and at age three or four, he was uh, abandoned in Puerto Rico. Um, Iman Harper, a.k.a. Baby Moses, was a two-year-old boy who was murdered. Uh, Catherine Davidson uh, was Young's, uh, Anna Young's six-year-old daughter who died in 1973 uh, after she was beaten. Uh, And uh, Elder Adam, a.k.a. O.D. Poe, was a... Pew, oh, excuse me, was a victim under the psychological control of Young, and he castrated himself, y'all. And uh, Nikki Nicholson was 12 years old. She was uh, physically abused. Joy Fluker is Anna's daughter, and I I also consider her to be a victim in this as well. Um, But not to worry, the good news is Karma's a bitch, and Anna Young is dead. Uh, She died in 2021 of COVID-19. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Anna Young was born in Harlan County, Kentucky, but grew up in Detroit, Michigan. The crimes took place in Chicago, Illinois, and Alachua County, Florida, outside of Gainesville. So 
because there's lots of different locations, we decided that today, instead of a location, we're going to talk about religion. Ooh, it's <laughs> the location is in your spirit. It's yeah. in your mind. It's in your heart. Now, we've we've talked about this before. Religion, particularly Christianity, has played an enormous role in Black American history. Yeah. Uh, and while most Africans kidnapped and trafficked to the New World to be enslaved were not Christians, they practiced many religions already. Uh, including Islam and a form of Catholicism that was older than that stupid asshole Christopher Columbus. But when they arrived to the colonies, they were forced to embrace Christianity. But wait, Christians are not supposed to oppress or enslave other Christians. Right? Yeah. So Anglican slaveholders then had to embrace the idea of race in order to justify bondage and white supremacy. Thus, enslaved Africans could be converted to Christianity, but could not be free from oppression because of their race. So you're saying race is made up? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I was going to say, I, I've been watching a lot of uh, Real Housewives of New York, and they have a black woman on there now, and this is part of a culture corner. So they, um, the, the, the black woman, Ebony, is always, you know, like, checking the women on like, well, that seems kind of racist or, right. you know, um, and, uh, you know, she'll say, you know, me, well, as a black person, I think and feel this. And they're always like, why do you always have to bring race into it? And uh, essentially, we're not bringing race into it, black people. We're not pulling any race cards. This wasn't our problem or our doing. Right. Uh, obviously, it was created a long time ago, and now we just have to deal with it. So if we mention it, it's not pulling any card. It's just calling things out for the way that they are. Anyway, yes. while enslaved people adopted Christianity, they also adapted it. There was actually a, a separate slave Bible text that was used to teach Christianity to enslaved Black people. Its full title was, get this, uh, get your Amazon carts ready, select. <laughs> parts of the Holy Bible for the use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands. I'm sure God uh, signed off on that one. Totally. <laughs> now, the book omitted entire parts of the Bible, like Exodus. Of you know course. that part about the enslaved people <laughs> being liberated right. from their oppressors, for, for example, to prevent uprisings. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh ridiculous. My God. <laughs> Over time, many Black people and their descendants embraced Christianity. It helped them survive the nightmare of enslavement as they found comfort in the biblical message of spiritual equality and deliverance. So they made a way out of no way. Made a way out of no way. Yeah, that's a... I love I love it when people say that. Uh, it's a, an African-American quote, a famous one. They made a way out of no way. So in post-Civil War America, Black churches played key roles in strengthening Black communities. They were essentially the first institutions created by Black people. And to this day, the Black church has been referred to as the invisible institution, right? You don't, it's not necessarily a house. Right. Um, many, enslaved people sometimes would just worship in the dirt, outside, yeah. wherever they wherever could. Wherever they could, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, churches were not only a place of worship, but also housed schools. In fact, many of our HBCUs began as schools in churches, um, social events, uh, political gatherings, and sponsored benevolent and fraternal societies. The Black church was the epicenter of Black life and was considered a safe space that many Black Christians called home. It provided a sense of community to people who had been disenfranchised. They also served as a social net. 
Take that, Zuckerberg. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) In Black American lives, churches have been essential to survival, community, joy, liberation, and resistance. Now, the Black church has a long history in relation to Black political action, dating back at least to the 18th century. The Black churches provided key support to civil rights movements. Frederick Douglass, what's up, Freddie D., was (laughs) thoroughly grounded in the church, having attended a Methodist church in Baltimore while enslaved and then delivering his first public speeches or sermons at the AME Zion Church in New Bedford, Massachusetts. The Methodist church actually declared itself an anti-slavery institution. So many Black people and abolitionists were drawn to it. Reverend Richard Allen started the African Methodist Episcopalian, or AME Church. The AME Church was also one of the first to allow women to preach and be leaders within the church. Yeah, I think in uh, the year 2000, the AME Church had its first female Black bishop. Oh, wow. And it made the national news. <laughs> uh, so uh, Reverend Adam Clayton Powell Jr. pastored at Harlem's Abyssinian Baptist Church before running for political office and served in the U.S. House of Representatives. And he was the first African-American to be elected to Congress from New York, as well as the first from any state in the Northeast. Powell effectively led the civil rights movement in the North until Montgomery, Alabama emerged as the epicenter of the movement, and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. became its most recognizable face and voice. As a result, Black Americans as a whole are more religious than whites and Latinos. Black Americans are more likely to attend services at least once a week and to pray regularly. Uh, Amen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'll burn up if I step inside a church, but I am praying all the time. So I'm a heathen. Black Americans at 83% are more likely to say they believe in God with absolute certainty than white people at 61% and Latinos at 59%. That's really interesting. It is. It is. But um, again, black people could not have survived without the church. Right. And their history makes makes their um, tie to religion a little stronger. Yeah. 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 Um, So now we're going to get into Anna Young's early life. Hit it, Beth. Anna Young was born Anna Elizabeth Bobo in 1941, the fifth of eight children. The Bobo family lived in Harlan County, Kentucky. Her father was a coal miner who began working when he was just 13 years old. And if she was born in 1941, um, you got to think if her father wasn't a slave, maybe her grandfather or great grandparents were enslaved. Right. It wasn't that far off. Right. And the family moved north to Detroit during the Great Migration, looking for a better life and uh, to flee violence. Uh, And there, Joseph Bobo and his father worked for the Ford Motor Plant as a janitor. Her mother, Hosanna, worked as a maid, but Hosanna had mental health issues and she suffered a breakdown. Afterwards, Joseph was unable to care for the children. When Anna was five, she and her sister went to live with another family, where she and her sister became very close. According to Anna, the foster family was very good to them, but she missed her father. She was able to return to live with her father when she was 13, but then she left home at 15 when she married, 15 years old, and had two children. Over her lifetime, Anna was married seven times, Hashtag goals. In 1973, 
<laughs> Anna was living in Chicago with her husband, Robert Davidson, and their children. Anna was a strict disciplinarian, but wasn't particularly religious. And random fact alert, she loved disco. And by <laughs> the way, I was listening. I, I, I Part of my research was uh, watching a documentary on PBS about the Black church. And the foundations of disco are gospel church right. Black music. Right. Uh, and the queens who were performing in discos and making music all grew up in the Black church. And oh, I just wow. thought, what a connection. Hip hop ear hearts were going off wild. in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so makes sense that she liked disco. So now we're going to get into the timeline. What do you got, Beth? On Labor Day weekend. Hey, it's Labor Day weekend now. Hello. <laughs> History has its eyes <laughs> on you. <laughs> but this Labor Day weekend was in 1973. Okay. Catherine Davidson, the biological daughter of Robert Davidson and Anna's stepdaughter, was reported missing along Lake Michigan. Known to her family as Kathy, she was just six years old. The Davidsons told police that they went to the Warren Dune State Park that day for a picnic. Uh, once there, the kids ran down to the water, and 15 minutes later, Kathy disappeared. The search for her drew hundreds of people from Detroit, northern Ohio, Indiana, and other parts of Illinois. Helicopter pilots scanned the area, but nothing was found. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when you find Find out what happened at the end. Yeah. <laughs> when police interviewed the family two weeks after Kathy went missing, the remaining kids all told the same story as their parents. But in reality, the picnic was a lie to cover up Kathy's death. Her siblings later said that her death was accidental, but that Kathy had died after being beaten, tied up, and gagged in a closet in the Davidson's Chicago apartment. Now, in their grief over Kathy's death, the Davidson's returned to religion. They moved to Zebulon, about 50 miles south of Atlanta, it was here the teachings of the House of Prayer for all people began to take shape. According to Joy Fluker, the biological daughter of Anna and Robert, born in 1978, quote, she felt like she was paying penance for my sister Kathy's death. They started up to help people, unquote. In September 1983, Robert, Anna, and a fellow believer they met in Georgia moved to a rural rural, rural, <laughs> rural area near Gainesville, Florida. It always the, makes me think of uh, 30 Rock, <laughs> the rural well, juror. I don't remember you don't that. You don't remember that? No. <laughs> I remember an episode where she got jury duty and she dressed up as a chicken. Oh, it's but, Star Wars. Yeah. She, okay. She, she dressed up as Princess Leia, didn't she? <laughs> I don't remember this. Yeah. I have so, to go back and watch it. So the rural juror, it was a running gag. The um, the blonde lady, I can't remember what her name is. She got a role in a film and it was called the rural juror. And uh, wow. she kept telling people she was going to be in the rural juror. And everybody's like, what is she saying? Oh, rural juror. Rural That's a tongue juror. twister. Got it. Got it. Okay. I see. I see you and All your right. jokes. That's a good yeah. one. That's yeah. a good one, Beth. I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> no, it was, it was really funny. Sometimes, sometimes you say really, really funny stuff and I am <laughs> laughing hysterically on the inside. 
That's exactly what happened. On the inside, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's true. It's the Zoloft. It's not my fault. Uh, so in September 1983, Robert, Anna, and a fellow believer that they met in Georgia moved to a rural area near Gainesville, Florida. The intention was to create a utopian community. Residents would have all things in common and have no needs or wants. Now that sounds great. Yeah, it does. And it was yeah. good at the beginning. Ah. Anna has been described as warm, charming, charismatic, and seemingly wise. The group took in people in need, people suffering from mental illness, struggling with substance abuse, or just out of prison. They took in families that were down on their luck, and many of them of the members were single mothers. They also took in the children of parents who were struggling financially. But when children or adults with children joined the community, Young took control of the kids, and they were then considered to be Anna's, and they called her mother. The House of Prayer for All People was supposed to be a safe haven for people to change their lives around, a place for second chances, financial security, and salvation. Anna used a routine of hard work, thrice daily prayer, and frequent Bible teachings as the foundation. The group was promised spiritual and economic security. The community started out on some land northeast of Gainesville in Waldo, Florida, and then moved down south of Gainesville near Micanopy. Micanopy has an estimated population of 636 people, and historians say it's Florida's oldest continuously settled inland community. It calls itself the town that time forgot. So it's very remote. <laughs> okay. I was going to say you know, also I, probably is that on racist. a brochure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Uh, have y'all heard of Will and Grace? It's a show about gay people in New York. No, what? <laughs> what? You have cable here? What's a Wi Fi password? The House of Prayer for All People operated there for about a decade. At its largest, approximately 24 people lived there. Members and their children were required to change their birth names to biblical ones, and they went by the titles of brother or sister. In a sick way, doesn't this? This reminds me of, you know, when Kuta Kente, when uh -huh. they were like, your name is Toby. Yes. And he was like, Kuta Kente. Whip, whip. And they change your name. This is how you indoctrinate people yeah. in a really violent way. Right. Um, so O.D. Pugh, one of the first people to join the group, became Elder Adam. Robert became Brother Jonah. Robert and Anna's daughter, Joy, became Sister Mary. And Anna Davidson became Anna Young, or Mother Anna, the matriarch of the group. You know, she's the only one who didn't really have to change her name, except for she changed her last name, but she's still no Anna. No fair. Yeah. I know. Not What's fair up with at that? all. Uh, fucked I up. Guess, <laughs> I, guess the, I guess that's what happens when you're the boss. When you're the matriarch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mother Anna's belief system was based on the Old Testament. The House of Prayer for All People adhered to a Levitical diet, the rules of eating which are laid out in the Bible in the book of Leviticus. It's similar to a kosher diet. They were also required to wear Old Testament-style quote-unquote holy clothing, which included long robes and beards for men and long dresses and head coverings for women. Sounds fun! It does. And I was going to say, uh, the Old Testament, there's this podcast I've just found. It's called Go Home Bible, You're Drunk. <laughs> and it just talks about how, like, this doesn't make any okay, sense. Okay, I'm going to It's subscribe. really funny. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and the Old Testament is interesting. 
Um, and it's in also interesting people who completely disregard the New Testament. Now, one thing I learned when I went, I went to a Christian university um, and we had to take religion classes and learned that there are a gazillion books written in biblical times. And there was a committee of people who got together and said, we got to put these books together so they point to the birth of Jesus. And then you get all these books put together that point right. to the, 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 you know, that make up the Bible. Right. Um, and the Old Testament is interesting because there are a lot of rules. But yeah. then the New Testament is like, you know what? let's just make it easy for you guys. I'm just going to send my son. His name's Jesus. He's going to die for y'all. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, you, you don't forget all those old rules. Old it's all easy yeah. now. It's, it's yeah. cool. It's cool. Yeah, that was, cool. <laughs> that was my understanding was that the, uh, the New Testament trumps the Old Testament. So, yeah, you know, it's way lit over Old here. Testament uh, rules uh, do not apply. <laughs> yeah, look, it's new. It's exciting. It's the testament. <laughs> Come on over. Um, I have, I had, I have a friend who he got super into religion for what reason I don't know, um, but he. he got so hardcore he was 30 years old and got circumcised um and like stopped <laughs> stopped eating shrimp like it was like have you got to the new testament yet because you don't have to do this uh is what everybody was saying it was a christian religion he was yeah because uh yeah. they they do those things in uh judaism but uh yeah uh no he he went he went full <laughs> throttle into uh making jesus christ his lord and savior Oh, uh, boy. And, but only stuck to the Old Testament part. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's like, my dick's the size of a Coke can. I was oh. like, whoa, bro. Again, New <laughs> Testament. You heard of it? Uh, so so the, st the strict rules that Anna forced the group to adhere to eventually became abusive. Mother Anna began to distort the tenets of her Pentecostal faith to punish and control her followers. People were required to clean 24-7. Many people have commented that the place was always spotless. Yeah, because they were cleaning all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, no, there's no sinning going on. <laughs> no sinning. Oh, man, this cleaning is so boring. Can I be excused? <laughs> Adults who sinned were beaten. Children who were, quote, possessed by a demon, unquote, were tortured and starved. Mother Anna became increasingly egocentric, unpredictable, punitive, and remorseless. Don't we kind of see this with all of the cult yeah, leaders, we right? We do. Nexium, what's up? I see you, Nexium, dude. <laughs> Every broad here has to fuck me and get my name tattooed on their body. Uh, okay. And then you'll get eternal salvation. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Where do I sign up? <laughs> if only. Uh, so around 1983, Catania Jackson and her older brother, John Neal, who was six at the time, were taken in by the group. Young offered to care for Neil and his younger sister while their mother worked, and their mother took Young up on the offer. According to John, initially the Youngs were very kind, but soon Anna began to believe that Catania, who was two, had a demon inside of her. Young began withholding food and forcing Catania to run in place and repeat Jesus over and over again. Oh, my God. He said Young, quote, beat Catania on her feet or she would make her stand up for hours and hours and not sleep, unquote. That's, That's horrific. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to add that um, during the Great Migration, when Black Southerners were leaving their Southern churches to come up to the North, 
one of the things that the places they found refuge was the church. And the church was a safe place to sort of leave your kids um, in in activities there. And there was a sense of community there. So um, I was just not pointing that, that out. Unusual. It's not unusual, yeah, for people to find a church and say, oh, you're going to help me with my kids? Awesome. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So soon after, Catania began having seizures and she was actually taken to a doctor, which was rare for this group, and she was prescribed anti-seizure medication. But it didn't take long before Young began to believe that the seizures were a sign that Catania had the devil in her. She was then starved and beaten and Young refused to give her that medication. A final massive seizure put her into cardiac arrest and she was taken to Shan's Hospital in Gainesville where she died. Young was at the hospital with the girl when she died as her quote-unquote mother. Catania's death certificate, which lists her as Catania Young, shows she died from a seizure disorder and her death was ruled as preventable. She was buried in an unmarked grave. No jail? No, because they didn't realize that it was because she was uh, being abused. They thought okay. it, she just had a seizure. Mm. Um, I think that they realized that she hadn't gotten her medication, but they didn't think it was like on purpose. Intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, Delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Anna 
Sarah's daughter, Joy, escaped the physical torture the other children received. She later said, quote, I didn't care about any of those kids. All I cared about was getting in my mother's good graces. Mother used to give me a quarter every time I told on one of those kids, so I told on them. I mistreated mm. them. And when they got beat by someone else, I didn't feel anything, unquote. Um, I, now, she said, Joy said this as an adult. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and she's she... describing how she felt when she was a child. Mm -hmm. I think John said something similar. They were just kind of numb to yeah. the abuse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, what else can you say? They were kids. Yeah. Um, so as a result of one of those tattlings, John Neal received a brutal beating that Young ordered, and he still has scars. He was seven years old at the time. The incident started when Joy told Young that John had taken a piece of candy. John sentenced, or, or I'm sorry, Young sentenced John to 33 licks because Jesus was 33 years old when he died on the cross. You ever yeah. heard somebody say, I'm 33. It's my Jesus year. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Big things are going to happen in my life. It's my Jesus it's year. It's my Jesus year. Yeah. So yeah, obviously, uh, whip uh, him 33 times. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> and uh, we've talked about this before. Discipline and in the black community is uh, a big conversation um and be beating um you know it, it kind of depends on on who you ask um what that means um obviously in this case people are dying so this is this is brutal but i i would describe my uh discipline as when i was a kid mom if you're listening <laughs> uh as you know you would get your ass beat if you did something um wrong or have yeah. to go outside and pick a switch and um in uh the olden days it's not really that long ago but back in the day when jim crow was um the you know the law of the land and it was dangerous for a black child to act up um the punishment had to be severe to in order right. to protect the child's life to um keep, keep them in line so they didn't them get in killed line. yeah exactly but um that's a that's a fine line right so yeah um i don't have any conclusion i am not an expert just... on anything those are just my thoughts <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i would say that um you know it's kind of a generational thing that too yeah i i we i i even though i may have been subject to that kind of discipline i i wouldn't and haven't uh, engaged in the same because we know better, right? We know better now, um, yeah. And things and things are di are different. So right, plus, right. I don't want to get in the system. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a different kind of fear these days. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so back to the story. Sorry, they began beating oh. John with an electrical cord, but if he moved, the beating would start all over again, and he couldn't help moving. So it did start over and over again. They then started using switches that tore at his skin. At one point, Young ordered that John's mother be brought in to watch. She didn't say a word or do anything to stop it. Wow. Um, well, obviously, she was under um, the control of the, the thing as, of the, as the cult well. as yeah, well. Yeah, she was in the cult, um, too. Yeah. And yeah, and fear, all kinds of reasons why she wouldn't have. But the, the idea of the switch, I don't know. If, uh, do you know what that means, Beth, when you say get a switch? Yeah. Okay. I I um was with uh 
old Whitey's uh, family uh, a while ago, and um, they had only heard of it because Adrian Peterson, the NFL player, had disciplined his son um, using switches. And um, they they had said they'd never heard of it before. And I was like, oh. That must be nice. <laughs> yeah, well, nice I was never encountered a switch in your I, life. I was not hit with switches when I was a kid, but I did know of it. And I, oh, I also yeah. lived in Florida for a while, and it's probably the same now. But uh, when I lived there, uh, they allowed corporal punishment mm-hmm. in school. You talking in about school? school? In school, Shit. yeah. And so there was like uh, there was a paddle on the wall of the classroom. And Ooh. yeah, it was terrifying. No way. And was <laughs> yeah. it in use? Did it get used? It it did get used. Yeah, not on me, but uh, oh, of course, Beth, because you're so good and stuff. <laughs> well, no, I just <laughs> I I faded into the wallpaper. <laughs> if I if I pretend I'm invisible, they won't see me. um so later john was the uh, back to the story sorry later john was the impetus for a child abuse investigation when he was eight and a skin infection landed him in the same hospital that his sister katanya had been brought to as luck would have it the same doctor who treated katanya noticed that part of his ear was missing and that there were scars all over his body oh my god when mm-hmm. asked about it, John told the doctor what he had been told to say, that the scars were from a time when he'd gone through some glass. But the doctor did not believe him and contacted the police. Shout out to that doctor. Yeah. Um, these child abuse allegations led investigators to the house several times, but John Neal was nowhere to be found. The house had been, had many hidden compartments and John was hidden in them. And because authorities could not find him, nothing came of it. In 1983, Sabrina Hamburg moved to the House of Prayer property with her son Marcos when he was about two. On the surface, everything seemed fine to Sabrina. The property was clean and the people were friendly. But soon after moving onto the property, Anna Young separated Sabrina from her son Marcos. As we mentioned earlier, this was common practice. Children were often separated from their parents, and Mother Anna was given charge of the children and was in control of disciplining them. Sabrina witnessed Marcos being beaten, starved, punished, and placed in a small closet for days without food or water. And when Young decided that Sabrina should marry another member of the cult, Thomas Pugh, a.k.a. Brother Thomas, she told Sabrina that Marcus had to go. It is believed that because Marcos was half Puerto Rican, Young thought Marcos didn't look like the biological son of Sabrina and Thomas, since they were both black. And in 1984, Mother Anna claimed that Marcos was full of the devil. Sabrina later later told investigators that Young ordered her to go to Puerto Rico and abandon Marcos on the street when he was about four years old. And to hear her tell the the tale is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Sabrina said she did as Young said and left him outside of a Catholic church on a bench. It was the last time she saw her son. To this day, Marcos hasn't been found, but Sabrina did not give up on searching for the boy, who would be about 40 years old now. And uh, unfortunately, Sabrina has since died. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, man. 
1986, Anna took in a baby named Iman Harper. Anna's daughter, Joy, was eight when the baby came to live with them. Said, quote, it was such joy. The thought that a baby was going to be on the property, unquote. Iman Harper was the child of Shonda Harper, a teenage mother in Chicago, who because of her age and situation, she was just 16, was unable to take care of him. Shonda later told investigators that although she did not want to put her baby up for adoption, she eventually agreed to give her son to her mother's lifelong friend, Carol Thomas. At the beginning, Shonda was able to visit her son several times, but the visit stopped after Carol Thomas abruptly moved to the House of Prayer community. She never saw him again. That's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, Young took the boy in as her own and renamed him Moses. But in March of 1988, her husband, Robert, a.k.a. Brother Jonah, was found crushed to death under a Ford pickup truck at a nearby junkyard. The death was ruled accidental. Yeah, I think he was uh, he it was a junkyard that he went to a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think he went under one of the trucks to get something out and, and the truck fell on him. Ooh. Nothing nefarious about it, though. Well, people suspect that there is, but um, there's really nothing that shows that it was. I I think it was probably an accident. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'll go with it. (laughs) With her husband dead, Anna Young's behavior changed. The beatings and other forms of abuse grew worse. And according to her daughter, Joy, after Jonah died, Her mom changed in her attitude towards Moses. Witnesses would later tell investigators that Young starved Moses, beat him, and locked him in closets. The usual M.O. Yeah, yeah. I wish it wasn't the usual M.O. Yeah. The idea of doing that to a child is so... A baby horrifying yeah so at some point a member of the house of prayer found moses dead in a laundry basket in a closet according to witnesses anna ordered that the body be burned in a burn barrel but young told her daughter joy that moses had gone to live in a monastery so they could someday he could become a priest it's, it's kind of like what you tell kids when when your pet dies <laughs> Oh, what do oh you what do you tell? What do you oh, say, Beth? They, they, uh, what are you talking about? They went to a to go live on a farm or something, you know. Oh, <laughs> I never wow. did, but some people <laughs> do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I could see how a child could buy it. Yeah, uh, I've never heard that before, but I like it, and I'm going to use it. <laughs> Later, as an adult, when Joy told her half-sister that the last time she'd seen Moses, he was in a closet. The half-sister said, quote, oh, no, not again, unquote. When Joy asked what she meant, the half-sister told her about Kathy's death. So according to Joy, the new members trickling in would adore Mother Anna. Quote, as people started idolizing her, they started looking at her as the voice of God, unquote. She said that power that Young possessed then became corrupted. In her interpretation of the Pentecostal faith, Young would torture and abuse members for their sins by starving, caging, and whipping them. According to Joy, quote, they were willing to take beatings and whippings and starvation and be locked in boxes and eat cow manure <gasps> no. because they loved God so much and wanted to be pure and holy, unquote. 
What's I don't see how eating cow shit. <laughs> I don't see how <laughs> eating cow manure makes you pure and holy. I don't oh know. Oh my God. Wow. So Odie Pugh, aka Elder Adam, was married to a woman at the house of prayer. But at one point, Young ordered the couple not to have sex because Elder Adam had a lust demon in him. <laughs> Apparently, this that the use of everything is the devil, so yeah, you can't yeah. have anything right. sucks. Apparently, Elder Adam felt compelled to tell Young when the two had sex, even though Young had told them not to. He snitched on himself. Yeah. He played himself. Yeah. No. <laughs> so Young ordered his castration, referencing scripture that says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. So Pew iced his penis and <gasps> cut it off. <laughs> oh my God. Members wow. recalled the infection afterwards was terrible and that he almost died. But <gasps> Elder Adam stayed. His daughter, Sharon Pugh, also stayed, as did her brother, Thomas Pugh, which is nuts. <laughs> yeah. After all of that, they still believe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm floored. My jaw is on the floor. Let me get, take it up. Uh Wow, that's a lot. So Nikki uh, Nicholson's parents, who were also Pentecostal, met members of House of Prayer for All People at a religious revival meeting. Their daughter was struggling in school, so they left her with Young, who said she ran a religious boarding school. Oh, now it's something different. It's a boarding okay. school now. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> One day in 1992, Young decided the 12-year-old girl smelled bad. She filled a metal tub with hot water, half a box of Ultratide, some bleach, and two caps of coconut pick-and-save bubble bath. Nikki was held down in the metal tub by cult members who were told it was necessary in order to exonerate the devil. There's the devil again. There is the devil again. And oh, my God. Um, I just wanted to say before before we move on, there's been in the news recently celebrities who've come white celebrities who've come out to say, oh, no, I don't I don't really believe Taylor Swift doesn't wash her legs. Uh, white people don't use washcloths. Uh, Ashton Kutcher and his <laughs> wife don't wash their kids every day and uh, are just they're free of consequence or shame in talking about this. Right. But if a black celebrity were to do it. Imagine, uh, the, what's the her name? Uproar, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. yeah the, or, or, uh, Carrie Washington, if they had come out and said that they didn't bathe every day, first of all, the connotations go back to slavery. As soon as black people were freed, one of the, the elements of their freedom was we finally get to bathe whenever we want. Um, <laughs> and so cleanliness was next to godliness. It was highly valued. And I was listening to podcast, Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. And he was talking about how when he was little, his aunt used to scrub him and his siblings' knees and elbows with Comet. Oh, wow. Um, and so, so yes, it is. It, it This is extreme. But in, in black, in my black ass eyes from the black ass stories that I've heard, I don't know if this is completely unheard of. That's right. all I'm saying. Okay. So a, a police report said a male member of the cult held Nikki down in the water while Young scrubbed her. The report said Nikki was allowed out of the tub when another member of the cult in the bathroom pointed out that skin was coming off of her foot. Eey. That is, that's not lot. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nikki suffered second degree burns. 
Several days later, in January of 1992, the girl's parents were told that there had been an accident. They came to the property and found their daughter's hands tied to bedposts so she wouldn't make her open wounds worse. Oh, my God. Santa Maria. Um, Jesus, Lord, save yeah, these people. Yeah. Um, her parents took her back home to Bishop, Bishopville, South Carolina, and she ended up bedridden with blisters and burns. She spent several months in a burn unit where she underwent several surgeries and skin grafts. She had to have physical therapy to learn how to walk again. Nikki's parents filed charges against Young, and Young fled with her daughter, Joy. Uh, now, without its leader, the cult fell apart. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Tell us, Beth. Young managed to stay under the police radar for eight years, living in the attic of a relative's house in Alton, Illinois. Using the name Elizabeth McDuffie, she was employed as a home health care worker and carried authentic looking documents. But a co-worker recognized her face in the National Enquirer article about the FBI's most wanted female fugitives. <laughs> Got her! She was turned in and extradited back down to Florida. And in 2001, she was convicted of abusing 12-year-old Nikki Nicholson. Young was sentenced to time served, which amounted to six months in jail or 192 days. That not is enough not for what she very took much. from yeah. this girl. Right. Yeah. Young's daughter, Joy Fluker, moved to Atlanta, and Anna moved to Marietta, Georgia. Fifteen years after Anna had been convicted of child abuse, another investigation was opened, this time into the murder of Eamon Harper, a.k.a. Moses. Anna and Joy had a somewhat contentious relationship, and during an argument in which Young criticized Joy's parenting, oh no, <laughs> Joy blurted out, quote, "'How are you going to tell me how to raise my kids when you killed two children?' Unquote. Then she said she saw a look on her mother's face that she hadn't seen since they were at the house of prayer. Woo. This argument stirred up some memories of Moses for Joy and prompted her to reach out to the police. She went back and forth about what the right thing to do was, but ultimately she decided that telling the police was the right thing and that Moses, Marcos, Kathy, and Catania all deserved justice. And in 2016, Joy called the Alachua County Sheriff's Office to turn her mother in for the crimes that she had committed. As detectives began investigating Joy Fluker's claims, witnesses came forward. Authorities swarmed the, the old cult property outside McCanopy, Florida. Forensic scientists spent two weeks digging around the property looking for human re remains, but nothing was found. Police arrested Young in Marietta, Georgia, on the last day of November in 2017. She'd been living there for 15 years under her husband's last name of Anderson. Her Cobb County home, front yard, and stoop were adorned with nearly two dozen holiday Jesus and religious-related signs like Jesus is the reason for the season, and every day is a blessing. Ooh, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's my, that's my holiday jam. And I will get a solo every Christmas in the choir. Jesus is the reason for the season. Yeah, yes, he, oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is, yeah. So now we're going to get into the trials. So investigators could not get Young's side of the story because she refused to tell it to them. She initially pled not guilty, but then changed her plea to no contest to the murder of Iman Harper and no contest to the charge of manslaughter in the death of Catania Jackson in the 1980s. A no contest plea is when you admit the facts, but not your guilt. Which, okay. Yeah, not, not cool. I, I yeah. think she should have pled guilty, but whatever. Oh, yeah. 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 
And on February 17th, 2021, Anna Young, 79, was sentenced to 30 years for Moses's murder and 15 years for Catania's death to be served concurrently. According to the Alachua County cold case investigator Kevin Allen, Young never showed any true remorse for the crimes. He said, quote, she had claimed to be so religious. And you think when confronted with this overwhelming evidence of multiple children dying under your care, that you think it would have been the right thing at that point to come forward and apologize and seek redemption for what she did, unquote. Well, agreed. As, yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, but religion makes people do funny things. So where are they now? Beth? Well, Anna Young was transferred to DOC custody on February 25th, 2021. She was serving time at the Florida Women's Reception Center in Ocala when she died of COVID-19, having served only 42 days in prison. I guess she just wasn't meant for prison. Maybe. I mean, look, Karma is a huge bitch. <laughs> uh, and she shows up every time. Uh, so Anna's daughter, Joy, who blew the lid off this cold case, created a nonprofit called Prevent the Pain to support people who have reported troubled family members and to encourage others to seek help. That's pretty cool. Some of Joy's siblings and other family members disagreed with her decision to turn her mother in, and they thought she did it to exact revenge. Hmm. But Joy believes her mother had a mental illness and that if it had been treated, the deaths and abuse could have been prevented. She said, quote, this case should serve as an example of what can happen if nobody speaks up and speaks out before it gets to this point. My mom exhibited signs of an abusive nature to herself and others, especially children years ago, way back in the 60s. Those who knew didn't say anything. It taught me a lesson, unquote. John Neal, Catania's big brother, gave a victim impact statement at the sentencing of Young. In an interview after the court appearance, he said, quote, I feel like we got justice 100 percent. I often wonder if I would ever get justice for, or any accountability. I know God holds people accountable. I knew that was coming. But to be able to see it and live it, it's just wonderful. It's a blessing, unquote. That's amazing. He, yeah. He still believes in God. Yeah. Uh, his mother, Leah Vera Jackson, who's also Catania's mother and a survivor of the cult, also gave an impact statement about the pain and hurt that she and her family have gone through. She told the court and Anna that their family has closure now that justice has been served. Nikki Nicholson suffered all of her life after her abuse, for which Young only received six months. She continued to have complications with her legs and was disabled because she could not stand on her legs for longer than an hour. And she died of diabetes and other health issues at the age of 37. That's really sad and tragic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so now we're going to get into our takeaways and what we think went, made Anna snap. Why'd she do that, Beth? <laughs> Well, her daughter Joy blames mental illness, and it does sound like there were some issues there. Mm -hmm. Anna's mother struggled with mental illness herself, and there could be a biological element. But uh, she also had a pretty rough childhood. She said her foster family treated her well, but who knows? Mm -hmm. And even if they did, she was torn from her family as a child, and that has to have had a psychological effect. Mm. And uh, yeah, don't get us started on racism. Oh, no. <laughs> no yep. Nope. 
There's the trauma. I see it. (laughs) It seems as though the death of Kathy, who I don't think she meant to kill, caused some sort of mental break, which was later exacerbated by the death of her husband. And people who feel disenfranchised sometimes turn to abuse to feel a sense of power and to bring meaning to their lives, however fucked up that is. Okay. And in some ways, I'm kind of reminded of the Vallow Daybell case. Who? Uh, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because those people also turned to religion and because of their need to feel important, committed mm. murders. So, uh-huh. uh, uh, or they've, they allegedly committed murders. They haven't been convicted yet. Oh, okay. But just that need to feel like you're important and uh-huh. abusing people, um, makes you feel important it's just kind of a weird thing yeah sick yeah definitely yeah. very sick and my final thought is this story was a big fat bummer agreed <laughs> yeah one thousand really sad when i was working on the script i was like fuck this lady <laughs> yeah no there's no there's not one no there's no winners no you no, know there really uh, there's isn't people who made it they survived and but... survived but yeah um yeah this is a really a bummer of a story shout out to joy yeah. um the I think Joy is, you know, on to something when she says her, she thought her mother was suffering from uh, mental illness. Yeah. Um, the untreated trauma Anna suffered as a young girl being born, born, growing up in Jim Crow, the dismantling of her family of origin and her mother's mental health issues, I think contributed to all of it. Yeah. Hurt people, hurt other people. I right. don't know shit about power because uh, I'm never going to get it. But it sounds like it's pretty <laughs> tasty. Uh, and so once people do get it, they don't want to let it go. Right. Um, I feel empathy, though, for young Anna. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 as far as that goes. That older Anna can. Yeah, fuck she can. Right yeah, off. All the bags <laughs> of dicks. It's too bad she's dead because I could mail her some. <laughs> Also, the uh, the element of black religious communities, um, you know, there's this uh, code, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house. So I'm not surprised uh, that the, um, you know, the children when confronted with authorities didn't say anything. Right. right. Um, also, the element of black religious communities, uh, the sense of community connection and survival, resistance and liberation that they provide. Anna, as a cult leader, was a sadist. And a narcissist for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's rare to have a female cult leader. Am yeah. I wrong? Um, uh, we've, we've covered at least one. Yeah. But, but it is rare. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't, I haven't seen a Hulu documentary about a female cult leader. Yeah. Or Where Netflix. Where is it? Where is What's, it? Hello. Netflix. Yes. We are waiting. Um, well, I guess maybe, uh, what was that one where they sprinkled salmonella on the salad bar? Oh, Wild uh, Wild Country? Yeah. yeah. But she I, wasn't the leader, though. She wasn't the leader. That's no. true. Um, it's, all I'm saying is, is if only her talents were used elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, uh, and one somebody um, on that one podcast, uh, House of Prayer, it's called. Uh-huh. It was yeah. a really good podcast. It was fantastic. Yeah. If you want to know more about this case, right. it'll be in our show notes. It's yeah. definitely worth a listen. Somebody said on that podcast that they thought she was really intelligent. Yeah. And uh like super intelligent. So yeah. <laughs> if yeah. only she'd use that intelligence for good instead of evil. If only. Yeah. Evil, I think, is I, I, I don't, can't believe we haven't said that word yet, but that is 
exactly how you could describe Anna Young. Yeah. Evil. Yeah. Um, and I, too, really uh, ate up that podcast series, House of Prayer. But it was interesting to me that um, journalist who investigated the case for three years spoke. She spoke to the survivors and the investigators. And she asked the cold case investigator, Kevin Allen, a white man, um, about the fact that the case went cold and if perhaps that was attributable to race. And his explanation was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> he he just dismissed it immediately. Yeah, I think he said what he said was no because I knew those investigators and they were good investigators and that that's not a good answer because That is not. That's um, like even if no, you I'm know not racist, them and, I have a black friend. Right. <laughs> and even if you know the investigators and you think they're not racist, they can still have biases and exactly. they might not even know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think Put white people are right particularly prone to this. They're like, no, I'm not racist. And no, they not even aware that they, well, they have yeah. biases or exactly. You know, they they yeah. may not be like racist, but yeah. they might have racist biases. Exactly. Exactly. And I think people might mi misunderstand. My understanding is a racist is the worst thing you could call a white person. Like they really flow, fly off the handle and don't <laughs> like it. Um, but this um, journalist was interrogating the investigation, not him or yeah. the cops as individuals. Right. Right. She was just saying, is there a reason this case went cold? Could it be because of race? And it was... It, she he took it as an assault on him and his character, and it wasn't. Uh, we all know why these cases that we talk about on this show don't get much media attention, and right. it is because of uh, race a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Beth is absolutely right um, that they may they may have been great cops, but they still probably had biases that they Especially weren't even aware at that of. Time. You know? Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, there's just a, a lot of pain in this case. Yeah. And um, shout out to all the survivors the mo and the mothers who lost children and just yeah. people who lost and went through all this. Lots this was, of uh, lives that were affected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Real sad. Okay. Woo. So now let's go watch some funny videos or something. <laughs> Time to watch 30 Rock. <laughs> Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.
So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Mm, looks like you got a doozy bath. Yeah, wait. so I just wanted to talk about cults. Mm. What is a cult? Tell us. A cult is a group or movement held together by a shared commitment to a charismatic leader or ideology. Okay. So there doesn't have to be a leader. Um, it can be just an ideology. It has a belief okay. system that has the answers to life's questions and offers a special solution to be gained only by following the rules. Hmm. Now, um, it doesn't have to be religious. There are political, racist, and terrorist cults, such as the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers. Proud Boys! QAnon! QAnon, yeah. And there are psychotherapy, human potential, and mass transformational cults, like Nexium. There are also commercial and multi-marketing cults. Uh, I, I mean, people can argue about this, but... Um, Amway is an example. And they just okay. kind of use some of the same tactics that mm-hmm. uh, religious cults use. Oh, and what differentiates a cult from a religion? Followers see themselves as believers, even uh, disciples, but, but not cult members because nobody joins a cult. They join a movement or a religion. So what? Yeah. Yeah. So what differentiates them and and how can you recognize a cult um even if it's not a religion (laughs) i don't know i'm waiting for you to tell us okay well well, i'm just gonna let you think about the no i'm just kidding Um, (laughs) (laughs) don't do that it's a disaster So Stephen Hassan, a psychologist and mental health counselor who specializes in destructive cults, developed what he calls the BITE model to describe the specific methods that cults use to recruit and maintain control over people. BITE stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. So behavior control um, promotes dependence and obedience. So they modify people's behavior with rewards and punishments. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they dictate where and with whom you can live. Uh, Mm -hmm. They restrict or control sexuality, control Uh clothing and hairstyle, regulate Mm -hmm. what and how much you eat and drink, deprive Mm -hmm. you of seven to nine hours of sleep, exploit you so my job yeah yeah it's your job (laughs) (laughs) they exploit you financially restrict leisure time and activities require you to seek permission for major decisions so some of those are some of examples of behavior control the next one is information control uh so with Information control, they deliberately withhold and distort information. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. Shots fired, Beth. (laughs) Forbid you from speaking with ex-members and critics. Discourage access to non-cult sources of information. So, you know, the uh, mainstream media is no good anymore. (laughs) The lamestream media, you mean? Yeah. Only get your information from uh, the My Pillow guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> divide information into insider versus outsider doctrine. This is all sounding really familiar. <laughs> I know. It's so scary that it's like on our It's doorstep. happening. Yeah. Yeah. Generate and use propaganda extensively. Also familiar. Use information gained in confession sessions against you. Gaslight mm. to make you doubt your own memory. Require you to report thoughts, feelings, and activities to superiors. Encourage mm. you to spy and report on others' misconduct. Oh. I see you, Texas. Oh, boy. <gasps> Beth. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, my bonnet just blew off my head. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, this white lady is not playing any games with you hoes listening right now. Okay. Wow. The next one is thought control. And uh, thought control is used to instill black and white, us versus them, and good versus evil thinking. So mm. they may change your identity, possibly even your name, which Anna did. They mm -hmm. use loaded language and cliches to stop complex thought. So, mm. you know, they'll, they'll just shoot a cliche at you to stop you from thinking any further about something. Okay. Induce hypnotic or trance states to indoctrinate. Teach thought stopping techniques to prevent critical thoughts. Allow only positive thoughts. Use excessive meditation, singing, prayer, and chanting to block thoughts. Reject mm. rational analysis, critical thinking, and doubt. The last one is emotional control. So they'll instill irrational fears or phobias of questioning or leaving the group. Uh, Label some emotions as evil, worldly, sinful, or wrong. The Te devil. Yes, the devil. Teach emotion-stopping techniques to prevent anger or homesickness. Promote feelings of guilt, shame, and unworthiness. Shower you with praise and attention, which is also called love bombing. Threaten your friends and family. Shun you if you disobey or disbelieve. And teach that there's no happiness or peace outside of the group. So that's the bite model. If something that you're involved in sounds a little suspicious... Compare Ooh. it to the bite model and see see what you think. Yeah, bite it. Bite it out. Mm. <laughs> and that's Thank it. you for that, Beth. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, now we're going to move into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about any othered or marginalized groups, people of color, or any true crime goodies. I didn't put this in the doc because I forgot, but I wanted to shout out a podcast called Park predators have oh, you heard of yes. it yes yeah you have? have yeah jesus i just <laughs> found it this weekend um but it is about um like true crime in national, national parks. parks yeah uh and so it's it, scary. The, the, it is it really is it is so well researched and it's really well told yeah um and like really well produced it sounds like there's a lot of money behind this but boy <laughs> oh boy is it exciting i listened to one about uh, a grand canyon killer and he killed his wife uh he killed a bunch of wives oh my uh, gosh and like pushed her down the Grand Canyon oh, and like a bunch of people died at the Grand Canyon that year. So he almost got away with it. Anyway, it is so good. Park 
predators about right true crime in the most beautiful places. You'll never with camp the again. darkest <laughs> secrets. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? So I ran across uh, something called Never Been Told Project. It's Who? on. Yeah, it's it's on USA Today. Okay. Um, so Never Been Told, The Lost History of People of Color is mm-hmm. meant to elevate through deeply reported investigative and explanatory journalism the people, places, and ideas that are often excluded from history books. So, Wow. Sign yeah. me up. Yeah, and you can oh. look at that at neverbeentold.usatoday.com, and I'll put the link in our show notes. Fantastic. So that is... Park Predators podcast and Never Been Told Project on USA Today. Thank you. Oh, well, that's all for today. Yeah, but, you know, in the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment, even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website all very true beth is not lying to anybody (laughs) now this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time live alive y'all it's crazy out there detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. 
At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.